Hey everybody, I'm Robert. Hey guys, I'm Chris. And we're the Film Flamers. This time around, we're bringing you something extra special. Usually our hot takes involve lots of different movies and TV shows, but this time we wanted to give you something special for October for Spooky Season, which is the release of The Haunting of Bly Manor, which we've been talking about for months and months and months. That's right. We both enjoyed The Haunting of Hill House so much, and we stand Mike Flanagan so much that we were looking forward to watching Bly Manor as soon as it was released. But of course, I think we each took about a week before we watched it. Yeah, Yeah, we did. Well, I had a reason. My sister was going to come up from D.C. and come visit me in Boston. We were going to watch it together, and that's exactly what we ended up doing. That's good, and I hope that you guys enjoyed it. I hope that your time together was perfectly splendid. It was perfectly splendid. Uh, But yeah, so we are going to give you guys our hot take on Bly Manor, just like we did about Hill House back when it was released, you know, a couple years ago or last Mm -hmm. year. I can't remember at this point. Uh, but The Haunting of Bly Manor is a 2020 supernatural horror drama series created by Mike Flanagan for Netflix and is loosely based on the ghost stories of Henry James, particularly the 1898 novella The Turn of the Screw. Uh, it's the follow-up series to The Haunting of Hill House, and it's the second entry into Flanagan's haunting anthology, although the two narratives do not connect. The series premiered on October 9th, 2020. Many members of the creative team returned for the series, as well as many of the original cast from Haunting of Hill House, such as Victoria Pendretti, Oliver Jackson Cohen, Hotness, Henry uh-huh. Thomas, Kate Siegel, Carla Gugino, and Catherine Parker. New additions to the cast include Tania Miller, Amelia Eve, Rahul Kali, and uh, Tahira Sharif, and Alex Esso. The parts of the young children were played by Amelia Bay and Benjamin Evan Ainsworth. I'm glad I gave you all the names. (laughs) (laughs) The story focuses on a young American woman hired to be a governess to two small children in the UK after the deaths of their parents and their previous nanny. Once she arrives at the stately Bly Manor, she begins to experience paranormal events and sees the apparitions that haunt the estate. You know, I, I think they use the word governess once, but I think there should be a Bly Manor drinking game that you take a shot every time they say the words au pair. pair. <laughs> I know. <laughs> right, because in, I mean, in the novella, they call it a governess, right? Because that's and, what they did in 1898. And two shots is uh, the, you just say nanny, right? Because they say nanny all the time. They say au pair all the time. <laughs> so au pair. Pick a word. <clears throat> They're all those things. They are all of the above. Well, we woke up. We watched, we walked around, we watched again, we went to sleep. We woke up, we walked around, (laughs) we watched, we went back to sleep. We woke up. Anyway, this is The Haunting of Bly Manor. (laughs) There you are. Now let's come up with a story. I know what loss is. Your parents loved you so, so much. In a way, they'll always be here. It's going to sound strange, but I'm having somebody else's dream. 
They're born here. They die here. So The Halting of Bly Manor holds an 86% on Rotten Tomatoes with an audience score of 63%. The site's consensus reads, It may not be as scary as its predecessor, but with plenty of spooky tricks inside its haunted halls and a strong sense of heart, The Haunting of Bly Manor is another solid entry into Mike Flanagan's growing horrorography. What a word. I know, just making up words left and right, Rotten yeah. Tomatoes. Come on Horrography. Now. Although it's good. Yeah. The series has received generally favorable reviews. Ben Travers of IndieWire says, Bly Manor stands an ambitious blend of genres and arrives at its ultimate point with proper gravity. Or, as they say, a gravity well in the show. (laughs) Glenn Weldon of NPR writes, So no, Bly Manor isn't as chilling as Hill House, but it is ultimately a good deal more satisfying, and it whets the appetite for any future installments. Uh, We'll see about all that, Glenn. On the negative side, Nick Allen of RogerEbert.com says that Bly Manor takes a misguided pivot into gothic soap opera, stranding its performers and fans. I hate to say it, but... (laughs) I mean, yeah, so just after those two reviews, why don't we just get into talking about the show? Yeah, uh, you know, we've, we've, we've made our notes for this. We have our list of episodes. We have our list of cast. I don't know if we want to do a point by point you know, for y'all or, you know, we could, we could try. Cause I, I actually don't remember what happened in each episode by its title. Yeah. I'm not even quite sure that I did either. The reason that I listed out those episodes was because a couple of them are actual titles from Henry James short stories. Right. Okay. And, you know, and I was interested to see like how they were done on the screen. Right. So once I read the title list, I was like, Oh, okay. And then I saw, you know, another one. Yeah. Um, but I think it's kind of hard to do a point by point on this particular show just because there's so much going on, right? There is. And there's a huge cast of characters and there's older and younger versions and there's like the possessed and not possessed versions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's just a whole lot going on and it's hard to kind of explain, especially if we're trying to be at least semi spoiler free, you know, because just like the last show, there's some things that would kind of twisted understanding, you know, um, especially in this show around episode five, just like the last series where episode five was like this game changing episode. uh, The same thing happens in this series where it recontextualizes a whole lot uh, of what you've seen so far, uh, you know, for you to look at things differently uh, from there on out. I don't know if we can be completely spoiler free, right? So, I mean, just as a blanket courtesy, you may hear us talk about some spoilerific things involving Bly Manor, because once we get started in the conversation, we may not be able to control ourselves. So, I mean, like, I assume a lot of you have already watched the show, right? And if you haven't seen it, go watch it, you know, you can come back and listen just in case. So Yeah. So essentially what we have are two children that live in, uh, I guess, their summer house, but it's basically the house they live in as children, which is Bly Manor, and they have lost their parents and they have lost their most recent nanny. 
So a nearby nunnery sends a singing nun to go and wait. No, that's the wrong movie. (laughs) And then the Germans come. (laughs) And they set a pine cone in her dinner seat. (laughs) How do you solve a problem like Bly Manor? (laughs) Anyway, so that's kind of the setup, right? And it gets more and more detailed and more and more involved in the nature of how their parents died and what the situation was there. Why the uncle who was hiring said governess slash nanny slash au pair will never come to the house and has not in some time. You know, uh, what's... You know, some of the, the people on the grounds are doing. There's a gardener, there's a cook, and there is, I guess, a housekeeper. A butcher, a baker. And a candlestick maker. <laughs> you know, and those are actually some of my favorite characters in, in the entire show, hands down. I completely agree with you. Yeah, so we have this American woman who's living in the UK um, in the 80s, <clears throat> which seems like a really odd choice for this but we'll talk about that later on maybe and uh she goes for an interview to be an an au pair to two young children like you said who've lost their parents and part of her job would be to to instruct them teach them and she's a teacher she feels like she'd be good for this job but she's clearly running away from something herself like she has a past that she's trying to escape that's why Mm -hmm. she's in europe and she gets hired and she travels to Bly Manor and she meets these two kids. She meets the housekeeper, Mrs. Gross or Hannah, you know, as her name is the, the gardener, Jamie and the cook Owen, who actually drives her to Bly Manor. And, you know, once she gets there, things are kind of unsettling. Like the, the, the kids are a little off, a little weird, and there's definitely something going on, you know, at the manor more than meets the eye. Right. Sure. So, and, you know, from that basic premise, the story sort of unfolds into everything that Bly Manor is, and it takes a lot of twists and turns, and there's a lot of characters and a lot of backstory. (laughs) There is, and therein lies some of the main problems I have with the story is that it's rather unfocused, or at least the focus that it does provide is, to me, in my perspective, kind of in the wrong areas. Right. Yeah, I think, I mean, I have to agree with that. I, I think that um, for the most part, this is really trying to give you a lot of information and tell a lot of a story in a really small amount of time. And I think that, you know, it kind of needed a little bit longer. I don't know. They, they set up some things that needed more explanation, but at the same time, like they give you a, so much explanation at some point. Yeah, that it's they do like, a lot of telling, <laughs> literally with a, a narrator. Mm-hmm. Who may or may not be reliable, you know, and and not a lot of showing in comparison to that telling, you know, and I and after just having showed my sister terrified, which mm-hmm. we deep dove into last week, right, where there's a lot of showing and not telling, and things are truly terrifying in a in a myriad of different ways. To go from that and immediately into this show, it was like night and day. And so that might have colored some of my perception of watching this, too. Well, I think, I mean, a lot of that has to do with the source material, right? And mm. so Henry James, to me, is, I mean, I, I think he's a fantastic author, right? An American who lived a lot of his life in Britain. And so he places a lot of his stories there. And a lot of his work is like a juxtaposition between like American life and British life. And turn of the screw is not anything like that so i think that the show took a lot of liberties with it but he's a very verbose author right and so there's a lot of explanation there's a lot of detail whenever he writes and so like watching this 
really is just like watching a Henry James story sort of unfold before your eyes, right? I'm starting to think that I wouldn't like that story because I do like gothic romance. Hell, I'm a huge fan of Penny Dreadful, right? It can be done right if the focus is in the right areas and the dialogue isn't too, you know, is is on point, but isn't too just like over the top and, and telling through exposition, like everything that's happening in the story. Well, that's the thing too, is though, I mean, like he is verbose and he does, he does give a lot of detail, but <clears throat> there's not a lot of explanation, especially when it comes to turn of the screw. I like that you called her an unreliable narrator. Cause that's exactly what the governess is in turn of the screw. Like we're led to believe that the things that you're reading in that story may or may not be true. The things that she's telling you as the reader, you know, may or may not be true. We have no idea what's going on mm-hmm. um but there are vast differences between that story that novella and this tv show like just far too many to name they basically just took the premise of it and took the names of some of the characters and just created their own show with it so i mean if you're a fan of the turn of the screw and you're going to watch play manor just be ready that it's it's not the same story and it, it doesn't have the same outcomes so. Yeah, my sister said that she read the book as a kid and thought it was a cool ghost story. And then she read it again as an adult and ended up really not liking it, um, mostly because it seemed like it it was kind of telling on the lines and in between the lines of like inappropriate, weird, abusive things with kids. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, like the the governess starts to think that, you know, she, she sees these ghosts and she says, you know, I've seen the ghosts and she thinks that the kids are also seeing the ghosts, but they're lying to her. And, you know, so she treats them differently. Right. And I mean, like spoiler alert for the, both the show and the, the, the novella, like one of the children die. And so, and it's different in the show, you know? So, but yeah, I mean, I, I totally get why your sister would say that. And this is the first time that I was ever in sort of like a literature class that we talked about an unreliable narrator. Like to me, that wasn't a thing until I mm. read Turn of the Screw. And it's it's super interesting. It's an idea, you know, to, to think about that. Like you, you read something in a book and you're like, yeah, you take it at face value. But yeah. I mean, like this changes everything as far as that story goes well it's also a really good trope that's done fairly well in some movies i can think of the best example is basically unreliable narrator the movie which is the usual suspects yeah (laughs) that's true right yeah and i never think about that either so i mean in this in this particular show the unreliable the unreliable narrator would be carla gugino's character right who is the storyteller and we learn later on is somebody else from the show so yeah and like her experiences at the manor or how she found the story out could be completely colored by her telling it to these people right and Mm -hmm. it's not fully explained until the end but i don't know yeah so i do want to kind of like the we're supposed to care most about i think danielle or danny clayton which is the the new au pair right for the kids she's american she's kind of fish out of water whatever you want to say and that adds that kind of a new dimension to the story that i don't know is necessarily in the original novella no not really um you know which is always interesting to me to to add dimension to a story and then we kind of go back and we learn about the story of the previous au pair the previous governess um which was played by tahira sharif and and she was excellent and of course uh with her romance with uh oliver jackson cohen's character peter quint Mm -hmm. and 
I feel like we're supposed to really care about that romance. And it, you know, it really set up Peter Quint as like the slimy kind of guy and it ended up being true. Right. And so I cared even less. And then we go back in time and we learn how this whole thing started with Bly Manor, which was a great episode, but still the the, motive, the ultimate character motivations for, for that, like the rage and everything, just aren't there and aren't believable, at least for me. And then we have this romance between eventually Danielle and... Um, uh, or Danny and Jamie, the the groundskeeper, essentially in this lesbianist kind of relationship. <laughs> and but to me, the the most believable and heart aching uh, relationship in the whole show that wasn't focused on really at all and wasn't kind of given any kind of real closure or exploration was between the housekeeper and the cook. And those were two of the most interesting characters in the entire show for me. And I almost wished we'd had gotten like a separate series just about them and their experience of Bly Manor, you know? Um, and of course that was uh, Rohu Cooley as um, Owen Sharma, the cook. And then uh, Tania Miller, a newcomer to, you know, Mike Flanagan's series as Hannah Gross, the housekeeper. I agree. I think that Tania Miller was like the standout performer in she this. She was. Like, she's just so I loved good. her so much. I mean, just like, she has such a warm face. And just, I don't, I mean, just every time that she was on screen, I was just enamored of her. <sighs> and it was just, it was a really good character. And I mean, I... They, they focus on the flashy relationships in this show, right? But like, it's the, the quiet moments that she shared with Owen that are really good. And like the, like the backbone of that episode that you're talking about, right? Episode five is, mm-hmm. is the recontextualization. Uh, and spoiler alert, stop it here if you haven't watched the show. But it turns out that her character, the housekeeper, Hannah Gross, is dead and was dead when the new, uh, uh, the new governess, the new au pair, Danny, uh, met her you know, from the start and that she's just been kind of confused and going back in time and reliving these moments and then coming back into reality and living as if she's still alive, you know, cause she doesn't, hasn't really realized that she's dead yet. And of course no one around her knows that either. Yeah. I thought that was just a brilliant episode. I thought it, it was really was incredibly well, well written, well acted. Like she was like, she was that episode, you know, and it was, it was good. And it was it was twisty enough to make me like interested and t- to wonder what was going to happen next and try to figure out how this fits into the overall like story arch of the show. And yeah. it was just really good. So I think that from now on, if you're watching a, a haunting anthology by Flanagan, like episode five is going to be, <laughs> you know, the shit your pants moment of the entire season. Right. Yeah. And there and it seemed like there was less like repetitive script work. And that's one thing I don't like is when everyone kind of magically calls something the same thing, you know, something abstract. And I don't think in that whole episode she calls it, you know, she's like reliving her memories or we've done this before and things like that. She's describing what's happening, which is mm-hmm. fine. But when everyone else does it from then on out, it's like, oh, I've been tucked away again. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and everyone uses that fucking phrase. It's like, oh, I've been tucked away in a memory again. It's like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just like, it pissed me off. Well, I mean, I've been tucked away. <laughs> 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 I really love your accent there. But I mean, I think the reason that they use that is because for the rest of the time in the series, we're talking about two other ghosts and two children, right? And so like these ghosts have told them that phrase. And so we hear it all the time and nobody else sort of knows about that, but there's no tucked away in turn of the screw, right? This is, <laughs> this is completely like fabricated for the, the point of this show. And so, but yeah. you're right. 
the, the more I heard them like, have I been tucked away again? You know, I'm just like, yeah, stop it. I would have rather him like Mike Flanaganized it by kind of creating a very similar, you know, like Stephen King. You look at, you know, five or ten of his books that have to do with like psychic stuff, right? Shining, Doctor Sleep, even like uh, the Dreamcatcher, right? And the this this descriptive quality of how people envision the insides of their minds and their memories is mm-hmm. all very, very similar because they're all in that kind of shared universe. And I would have loved for that to kind of be the same or very similar experience based on what he had shown us in, the, in his version of Dr. Sleep, you know, and things like that, where he kind of gives us the kind of this consistent rules for things. Because I think that would have been a little bit more interesting than, oh, I've been tucked away again. You know, it's like... <laughs> What really gets me in this 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 show as compared to Hill House, right? Like to me, the first two episodes really stand out as like, well, the first three really about like building a story. And then from then on out, it's like standalone episode, standalone episode. We have to have an episode about this character and, and like what's going on with them and how it sort of relates to the story a little bit. And that's where we get into like the way too much of the explanation, right? Yeah. And the oh shit moments are oh shit, but it's like, it's almost like I'm looking at the screen going good for you yeah good mm-hmm. for you versus in the original haunting of hill house the oh shit moments are very much oh shit you know like uh victoria pedretti's role in the original was one of the most poignant and when she eventually kills herself and she is hanging herself through time and you see all the explanations for all of those sightings you know throughout time it's just mind-blowing and it's such right. a well-done sequence you know versus we don't get anything like that in this show there's no just over the top holy shit moment and and all of it is kind of subsumed or sub something folded in you know like you know this is like the horror version of room with a view or something i don't know <laughs> well i mean it it kind of is so <laughs> and this is why i this is why i like i liked this season i did but i i'm very very biased because i really enjoy like that time period of literature mm-hmm. you know and so, like, watching it, it was it really was like watching a Henry James story, even though they took liberties with it. And <clears throat> the way they talked, the way the story moved, I mean, it just, it felt very familiar to me, and I, I liked that. I do want to talk for a minute about um, episode six, The Jolly Corner, right? Which is supposed to be Henry Thomas's main episode. I also like, I, I do like that you mentioned that you like that time, right? Because I think that's very important because like 18, you know, 90s, like 1898, we got all this stuff coming out. Like it wasn't just the, you know, the um, the turn of the screw. It was uh, Dracula, Bram Stoker's mm-hmm. Dracula and Frankenstein and all the stuff that was coming out around the turn of the century that, you know, really was is like the heartblood of like modern gothic romance and stuff and how we understand it and and gothic horror for that matter and i would have to say like from a general point of view standing back i enjoy turn of the century literature overall more than i do turn of the screw (laughs) (laughs) no i mean yeah i i i don't know ian forster henry james like all these things I, i i just i really enjoy that that time period of writing right and so i I think that's probably half the reason why I enjoyed this show so much. Yeah. But um I I really enjoyed Henry Thomas in Hill House. I thought he was very good. He's always good. I'm sorry, but every time I see him he's he's really, really good. I I can't say that I feel the same way about him in this particular series. Like, I liked him I, in Doctor Sleep. I loved him in the in the first um series of this, The Haunting of Hill House. 
you know, and once I got over his English accent, you know, <laughs> I was okay with him here. I don't know. I just like that that episode that was supposed to be like his like main mainstay, right? His his signature flagpole episode. I was just like, oh my god, I can't wait for this to be over. That was the one time in the series that I was just like, stop it, just stop it right now. When he was yeah. having his doppelganger, yeah. And that's another thing about the show, right? It's like they they're trying to give us rules about why this. They're going out of their way to explain why this is happening, why these ghosts are visible, why they're even around and able to like talk and function, interact with the environment, and much less living people as if they were real, you know. Versus this guy's over there in like London. And he's seeing his doppelganger as if it was a ghost. And it's not. At first, my sister and I thought he was being possessed by his brother. And that's why he was in that other room and the empty room and everything else. And he was pretending and he, was, he wasn't going to like let everyone know he was dead because he was being possessed. And that made sense to me for a second because that would have fit more with the rules. But no, it's just like this, you know, visualization of guilt. You know, and it just it didn't fit with the rest of the mythology of the show, and it just felt a little muddy. It felt a little messy to me. And here's why I think is because they take too many different Henry James stories and try to shove it into one series, right? Yeah. We have Turn of the Screw, we have the short story The Jelly Corner, right? And we have the short story The Romance of Certain Old Clothes. And they take all these things and they're trying to like take the different you know, themes and things that Henry James wrote about and shove them into one series and try to like re- relate it to Turn of the Screw when it's not the same thing. The Jelly Corner really is just talking about like the idea that, you know, there's a, a bad person inside of you, right? Yeah. And it doesn't really fit with Turn of the Screw, but they, they try to, right? I do think that out of all the short stories that they, you know, were trying to adapt and like fit in, the romance of certain old clothes is the best like episode five is great right but episode eight to me was just like fantastic and that's going back to like the 16 the 70s 80s 90s right for this show that's that story of the original Bly. yeah as far as we're concerned in this particular series it's going back to like the original ghost of Bly or why Mm -hmm. there's such an angry presence at Bly, right but like the original short story has nothing to do with that it doesn't even it takes place in america yeah i think that was kind of um a kind of a miscarriage of storytelling there as far as like the wider series is concerned but it was at the same time one of my favorite episodes because it had the most atmosphere and the most poignant journey i would say because you in just that one episode you have you know journey of what like 20 30 years you know at least and also i do have to say that um kate siegel who was in the original as kind of like the hardcore sister, you know? Um, And as also Mike Flanagan's uh, wife. Right. She has such a screen presence. Yes. And she was just (laughs) brilliant as that, as that character of Viola Willoughby. And um, I really, really appreciate what they were trying to do there. Um, But at the end of the day, you know, she is supposed to be um, the reason that Bly Manor is like, a gravity well uh, for all of these spirits and why they can't leave the property and, and everything else is because of her rage for her sister opening a trunk. So it just <laughs> doesn't work for me. I mean, I, I, I like it. I, I think if they were to take that episode and pull it out of the story completely and just show it as like a standalone, very short movie, I think that it's great. And I mean, I've never seen an adaptation of this particular story before. Uh, I love it. It You know, 
Yeah, it was very well made. Wonderfully shot. And I loved the painting in the background that was cha- that would change to a, yes. like, a nasty dead face just randomly. I love that sort of stuff. And it was done so well. It was just like, if we can deal with one of my stupid analogies, it was like watching like the most beautiful wonderful like high diver in the world like climbing up with all this flourish and like standing at the top statuesque and and wonderful and then doing the most wonderful pirouette flips and dives on the way down to the water and then just doing the world's gigantic belly flop (laughs) (laughs) as far as how it worked with the rest of the story (laughs) yes i mean i i I will agree with that you know i did i I just think that 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 particular episode was was brilliantly made. I like the way that it starts sort of black and white and gets into sepia and then sort of like becomes color toward the end. And as time progresses, I like the different ghosts that she adds to the manor, right? And all these things are not in the story, really, at least not the one that Henry James wrote. But it was yeah. it was very well made and very well acted. And I just thought it was beautiful. And I would go and watch that episode by itself a lot, you know? So... And then we sort of get toward the end of the show after that and they, they wrap it up. Right. And so like the kids are rescued, you know, I think we've already said spoiler alert too many times at this point. Yeah, And what they're being rescued on, cause we kind of went over, it was like the, the stupid quote unquote romance between Peter Quint and the previous governess who were dead and basically trying to possess the children to like live their lives together. So that's the only way they could do it. And because they couldn't leave the property and they were trying to do it permanently and they ultimately failed. So blah, blah, blah. Which fits in because, I mean, like the, the, the new governess, Danny, sort of like saves them in the same sort of manner. And, but she, you know, has developed this relationship with Jamie and, you know, they're living their lives as proud lesbians in the 80s and early <laughs> 90s. And, um, but she knows that eventually, you know, she's not going to be able to be in that relationship anymore. And I think that I, I kind of liked the, the closing of the series, right? Cause it's, a, it's an in-your-face metaphor about, like, being in a relationship anyway, right? Mm-hmm. You know? And, you know, the unwillingness to to commit fully but wanting to. And, I mean, it's it's very touching. And, I mean, I'm, I, I have to say that I cried a lot. <laughs> but Yeah, you know, it's one of those things. You know, usually I can get into stuff, you know, but it's it reminds me of, what is it, Guillermo del Toro movie that won Best Picture recently? Shape of Water. Shape of Water. You know, you're either into the the woman-fish romance or you're not. And I couldn't get into it. And this is another case where I didn't care enough about these characters at the end to have a whole bookend episode dedicated just to them that doesn't really wrap anything up. You know, that just ended up being mostly just depressing and confusing, really, too. So, it like, if you're not into it, if you don't find yourself into it, like try 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 to get into that that romance because like i was still reeling as a binge watcher you know uh i was still kind of reeling from the lost romance of the housekeeper and the cook that's the romance i cared about that's what i had invested in and when that was kind of brushed aside as oh those are the that's the help you know (laughs) Mm -hmm. i mean i and i i cried a lot in this show i know that matt commented on Facebook and said that I would be crying and he was right. I mean, there were many times and almost every episode of something that made me cry a little bit. Right. Um, and I, I did enjoy the wrap up, right. Cause I, I think that it, it sort of like connects the frame story a little bit. Mm-hmm. Right. But, but at the same time, like once the frame story was connected, I was just like, Ugh, okay. Like <laughs> that's enough. Yeah. But, I was just thinking, 
I just remember going, you know, this is so well done. And I was like, too bad it's kind of lame. And my sister was like, yeah. <laughs> and I think it might have been part of it. Like we binged the whole thing with, with no breaks to digest. You know, we also were looking forward to this so much. There, she, she did a special trip just for us to watch this. And it doesn't exist in a vacuum. I'm always comparing it to The Haunting of Hill House. You know, and 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 everything that happened in the highs and lows and and wonderful blown out of the water expectations with that series, and you know, just comparatively, I couldn't get to that place with this, and I wasn't brought to that place either. I don't think you know. I love gothic romance, but for whatever reason, I couldn't get completely hundred percent on board with a lot of the characters and, and storylines here, and I felt like it just kind of got muddy. And that's okay. I mean, like, so I I broke this up over three days to watch, right? Okay. And only because, I mean, like, I started watching it at really odd times and it was time for me to go to bed, you know? Mm-hmm. But um, I think more more importantly, right, if we're going to compare the two shows, which I think we should, um, the first season, Hill House, was, at least according to Wikipedia, solely directed by Mike Flanagan. Really? And in this particular season, he only directed episode one. Fuck, you're right. I've done a little time travel and I've just checked both wikis and he and he directed every single episode of The Haunting of Hill House. And he literally, like you said, only directed the first episode of this series. And I think that might be my issue. And I mean, like he he is the series creator and he's the producer of the show. And so he has some input as to what they do. But he gave other directors and other writers like the reign to do what they wanted. He's a busy man these days. He's got a huge deal with Netflix, you know. But it changes everything. Yeah, but the, there's there's not a single vision. I mean, it's it's like different directors for almost all these episodes, and it, it doesn't really become as cohesive as Hill House is. And I think that's exactly why, is that we got a huge 10-episode-plus of Mike Flanagan's Hill House, and then Bly Manor is, you know, sort of pieced together by what other people want to see. And that's, I mean, every episode's different. You know, you get a different feeling from each one. It affects the characters. It affects everything. Well, it's sad because, like, for those of us who didn't get the, a huge kick out of it, and and I still liked it. Don't get me wrong, please. I have a lot of criticism for it, but I still really liked it. And... But at the end of the day, his name is on it. That's it's his name, not these others yeah. that are on it. And so I'm hoping that, you know, just like I said, I think the last shooting the flames episode was that I hope he doesn't get so busy that, you know, he gets stretched too thin and something comes out that's kind of middling and he loses opportunities because of that. And this, you know, I'm glad that you, you called that out because I didn't realize, like I, I didn't realize, I thought that would have been the case with the last season too, where he was the showrunner, but that he didn't direct every episode, but no, he was the showrunner and the writer. And he also directed every single episode versus this series. It's someone different. Every other one, he didn't even come back to do the last episode who just literally directed the first. And I think that's a huge difference. And it kind of saves his reputation a little bit in my eyes, because I was going to come out and say like, this is the, this is while still good. This is the worst thing that I think that I've seen of him, of his that I've, I've watched, you know? And I think, unfortunately, like there's two other series that are coming out on Netflix that he's attached to. And I don't, I don't know if he's going to be directing all these episodes or what, you know, but, and he has movies that he's still working on. And, um, I think that we have a lot to look forward to from Mike Flanagan. Um, what sort of discourages me in the couple of weeks that the show has been out, you know, before we recorded this episode is that the, the horror community is either like really in love with this or just like hate it. And I have really? seen far too much like bashing about it, actually. Like I, I've seen almost no middle ground as far as the show goes, you know? And I don't know. I just like, 
like literally post after post is people like saying how terrible Bly Manor is. And I just like literally I don't just think complaining about aspects of it, but literally saying it's bad. Yeah. They're like, I hear people saying it's not horror, so I don't like it. And, oh, you know, it's just too much of a romance, so I don't like it, you know. And so, I mean, like at the Film Flamers, we talk about horror adjacency all the time. We're, we're not opposed to watching something that's sort of horror-esque or yeah. horror adjacent, right? And I mean, I just didn't think that the horror community was so against that. Right. This is clearly a horror show. There are ghosts abound. There are some really scary, creepy moments in this show. But if they can't handle just a little bit of romance, I mean, or just a little bit of adjacency thrown in there and say it's not it's not worth my time to watch if it's not directly horror like Hill House was. I mean, come on. I still really enjoyed looking in the backgrounds of the scenes and seeing like the plague doctor, you know, in the background and stuff. I was constantly watching the background. And while there wasn't anywhere near as many. Uh, I would say as like ghosts from haunting of Hill house in the background, they did have a lot to, to see in the backgrounds of all these shots. And it was beautifully shot. I have to say yes. the whole show was excellently crafted, you know, wonderfully conceptualized and, and realized and, uh, you know, really well acted, you know, it's just, I feel like their focus got muddy especially with all these different, now that I know all these different, you know, artistic visions going into it, you know, they had several things kind of going on. Uh, I think one of the most obvious, like we already mentioned was, you know, that doppelganger of, of the uncle, you know, you know, and then, um, you know, with, uh, in contrast to the ghosts that we're seeing on screen and stuff, it's like, you need to, you need to really drive home the point that these are either ghosts or they are aspects of personality, aspects of your own guilt or or grief or anger, you know, and not both, you know, it's, it's a little weird. Um, and there's a lot of weird, muddy contrasts like that, that, that go to inconsistencies, you know, it's like you want to hint at a consistent mythology by showing and not telling and not overly explaining, you know, but I feel like they kind of over explain and they have weird contradictions. I agree. I think that, I mean, like if you're going to have a show like this, nine episodes don't have so many fingers in the pie. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's kind of like Mike Flanagan said, I think that you're a good director. I think you're a good writer. What Henry James ghost story do you want to adapt? And they were like, okay, well, we have nine episodes. Let's adapt as many as possible or whatever. And it doesn't work that way, you know? And so like, I, and it can though, cause you have all these series that are every episode is, you know, game of Thrones had like, you know, three or four or five different revolving directors. Right. And that's kind of fine too. If you have like really dedicated, you know, dual directors like game of thrones did kind of right but with this uh i feel like you need a director with especially with so many characters where you can kind of see how a performance is evolving mm-hmm. you know like for instance the housekeeper and the cook you know where oh you know this is where the audience is going to be looking and focusing and having their their emotions kind of centered around and then we kind of leave that alone you know those types of things might be treated differently by a single director in the editing room or even in maybe possibly rewrites and things like that, you know, for later episodes. And so if you have an attention to detail from a single vision, I think those things would have been cared to more meticulously, you know, than trying to mishmash it all together in the end. Yeah. I mean, and and you're right. But I mean, if you talk about Game of Thrones, they talk about a single story that happens over multiple seasons, right? Blind Manor is a one season story. Yeah, you know, and they have to try to fit everything in. And I understand, like, time constraints and things like that. But, I mean, if you're going to create the kind of, like, characters with the kind of depth they did and 
don't maybe just commit yourself to one season. You know, it's it's okay. You don't have to hold on to that anthology format and change it every time. We could have two Bly Manors. We could have two Hill Houses if we want to. I don't think that some of these stories are completely told. Like he said at the end of Hill House, the cranes are done. We know there's no more story to tell. I don't necessarily feel the same way about Bly Manor. Mm-hmm. You know, like I kind of want to know some other things and... I don't know. I think I think that this show is really good from a like a, a viewer standpoint. I think it's beautiful and well acted. Like you said, it just the things that I have a problem with and the things that keeping me from rating it like super high, like I did Hill House, um, are just basic storytelling devices. <laughs> you know, like it's just not not told exactly as well as it should have been. I would agree. At the end of the day, though. I still really enjoy the show. I think it's very high quality. I think it's worth recommending. I don't know. If you hadn't seen the first one, it would be interesting for me to see what you would think about this one in a vacuum versus having seen the first series that he did. This is something I would definitely show to friends who are not you know, big horror fans. Like, this is something that I would show my husband. I think that this is something that he would like, you know, cause he likes, he likes romances. Right. And I think that, you know, the ghosts are not as, as scary as they were in Hill house. So I think that this is something that he would handle a little bit more, you know, mm-hmm. the two takeaways that I'm coming with this is that a, if Carla Gugino wants to narrate a Henry James novel or short story in her like faux British accent or whatever. I'm all for it. I will listen to that all day, every day. (laughs) So please, I will not rest until it happens. I did think to myself, I was like, I always see so many like, you know, um, British actors and actresses, you know, doing American accents, but I I don't think I've ever seen a series where so many Americans were doing British accents. (laughs) Well, I mean, and like, so, I mean, I know that some of these actors are, are British or yeah. Australian or something. Like, I mean, I think that Oliver uh, Jackson Cohen is is an Australian actor, right? And he, I think he did a pretty impressive Scottish brogue, right? Maybe. Thought, you know, I mean, at least for me. Maybe just because I, I look at his face and I'm like, I don't care what's coming out of his <laughs> mouth half the time, right? <laughs> what did you think about the kids in this show? I thought they did a great job. I agree. Like I saw, I, again, I saw so many things online, like talking about how these kids were terrible actors and things. And I'm like, what? No. I thought they did really, really well. So yeah. In fact, I felt like they were kind of abandoned. I mean, not in, yeah. like in the story, surely they were abandoned, but <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the show kind of abandoned them about halfway through the series a little bit. And then when it picked them back up again, it was some sort of ridiculous, like we're going to possess your body storyline. I'm like, no, yeah, it was so unfocused. It kept going to different locations. You know, it's like, I wanted to know more about the fucking dollhouse, man. Like that shit was like fucking Marauder's map from Harry Potter or some shit. I mean, yeah, and and that little girl I think was good. That the 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 boy um, Benjamin Evan Ainsworth who played Miles, right? When he had his full episode, like episode two, about why he was kicked out of school, right? I thought I was like, these kids are like doing some heavy acting. I was like, come yeah, on, the whole Dove thing and everything, and I gotta mm-hmm. find you a key, and you know. I solemnly swear I'm up to no good while I'm tucked away. (laughs) (laughs) We'll have to use that more often. All right. Well, um, I don't think that we need to ask whether or not this is horror, right? Clearly there's some horror going on in here. Were you scared while watching Bly Manor? Uh, You know, there was some creepy dread moments. I love the stuff going on in the background. I always do. I always love that stuff. You know, Um, I love that in Terrified. I love that in another uh, movie I saw recently called Relic. 
Oh yeah. Um, you know, I, I love things changing with the sets and things like that in the background. And, you know, that's the sort of stuff that creeps me out a little bit. Um, paintings always creep me out. I don't know why, but yeah, it creeped me out a little bit. Didn't scare me. There was a couple jump scares that, that worked a little bit, but you know, those aren't something I'm, I'm hugely on top of or in favor of. Yeah, I, I really like the idea of in, like involving that plague doctor, right? And I know that because now we're dealing with this sort of thing. But when the show was being made, they probably had no idea. There's so right? much gold to fucking mine there. Like, show it yes. in the fucking corner behind the dollhouse or in the background. So many deep focus shots of the little girl playing with her dollhouse while she's in the boys' room. You know, and it's like I would have loved to see something. I kept watching in the background, like like it was it follows or some shit. You know, nothing ever happened. I was like, God damn it! <laughs> yeah, I mean, there were some there were some creepy, scary moments. Yeah, you know. So, all right. So, out of five stars, what would you rate the haunting of Bly Manor? I give it a three star. You know, and I feel like that's partially because I'm comparing it to the previous work of Mike Flanagan. You know, and I just, I can't, I, no matter how hard I try, I can't, you know, rate this in a vacuum. So there it is. I gave it four stars, but I'm incredibly biased, you know, because I, I like, I like Henry James and I liked, like seeing some things. Like I said, that, that episode eight is, you know, the short story that he wrote, you know, what did you with, rate with the first series? Five I would stars. give that five stars. Okay. Yeah. I thought that that was a perfect show i give it four and a half a long format you know as a movie like i would i would rate that five stars every day you know Mm -hmm. and i mean i just i wasn't as satisfied with this one as i was with hill house you know from from lots of reasons but i think that the show is well made and well acted and i mean and as a fan of literature and horror i four stars you know i thought it was was good so so I was waffling with going up in my score, and I feel like you are waffling with going down. Yeah, because, I mean, I finished it last night. I was going to save the last episode and watch it today because it was getting late, and I was like, fuck it, I have one one episode to go, I'm just going to watch it. And then, like, the tears were streaming down my face, and I was just like, fourth star! You know? Because <laughs> so, you know I love some melodrama. Yeah. You call it a soap opera, I'm going to watch it, for sure. See, I had kind of the opposite problem the last episode. I was like, oh, I get it, and this is touching, and and then it just kept dragging on. And I was like, <laughs> wow, they stretched this. I felt like the whole series could have been like three episodes shorter, you know? Without giving every spoiler away, I think that off mic, you and I should talk about some things in the last episode that I liked a lot, you know, so we don't spoil it for every single listener. But yeah, I mean, like there are some things that happened in that last episode that I just like just was a puddle on the floor, you know? Yeah. And so it was good and I, I enjoyed it. So the official film flamers rating is going to have to meet us in the middle at three and a half. So, and that's fine. Yeah. I think that's, that's doable. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that we need to bore our listeners with the hottest guy in Bly Manor, but I mean, just for shits and giggles, so do you want to say it? <laughs> so. I mean, anything with Oliver Jackson Cohen and is going to have Oliver Jackson Cohen as the hottest guy. Come on. I mean, he's the hottest guy in Invisible Man. He was the hottest guy in Hill House. He's the hottest guy in Blind Manor. <laughs> I'm fairly certain that I would divorce my husband and marry him. Well, except <laughs> that, you know, if I if I counter in like personality yet again, you know, to me that is so important, you know, and so to me like the true hottest guy was um the character of owen sharma which is the cook yeah owen he, i mean he he wasn't he was an attractive man both outside and in right <laughs> yeah. and oliver jackson cohen seems to be playing these like bad guys here lately 
But I don't. Maybe I just like bad men. Yeah, I, I'd rather someone cook me a meal rather than possess me and kill me so they can stay with me forever. <laughs> <laughs> well, Give me some of that I mean, chicken masala, man. Like, <laughs> don't uh, don't drown me. Jesus, yeah, he was awful in this. His character was terrible. I hate it when they take like attractive men and make them so shitty. This is why I didn't like Dan Stevens in the Rental, but that's another conversation. <laughs> Well, guys, we would like to know what you thought about The Haunting of Bly Manor. I know a lot of you have watched it because you've asked us if we're going to be giving you our thoughts. So let us know what you think about it on social media, at the Film Flamers, on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. And you can email us at tiredqueens at filmflamers.com or call us and tell us what you thought of the show, please, at 972-666-7733. This is our last episode on the main feed for October, but we have bonus content. So head over to patreon.com slash the and check out our bonus episode on anatomy this month and join the family and vote in polls and help us decide what other bonus content we're going to create for you well i'm getting a little tired and i feel like i'm about to get tucked away (laughs) and that would be perfectly splendid (laughs) so until next time robert sweet dreams Oh, it's happening again. I've been tucked away. <laughs> I don't know why I get to like this fucking... <laughs> like Mrs. Doubtfire. I, <laughs> I go to a Doubtfire. <laughs> oh, you wee child. Have you tucked away? <laughs> <laughs>